Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut with your host, Rebecca Coombs. Welcome to episode three of the Healthy Gut Podcast. And today's podcast is part two of a two-part interview with the Queen of SIBO, Dr. Alison Seebecker. Now, if you haven't listened to the first part of this interview, I would recommend that you listen to that uh, and then come along to listen to this one. So head to episode two and uh, you'll be able to hear all about uh, Dr. Alison Seebecker and I discussing you know, what SIBO is, its causes, its risk factors, how you diagnose it, how you treat it, um, the types of symptoms that you might experience, and also um, how to eat for SIBO. Dr. Alison Seebecker is a respected naturopathic physician who has most definitely brought SIBO into the limelight of alternative and complementary medicine. She was the co-founder and former medical director of the SIBO Centre for Digestive Health at NCNM Clinic. And she has been specialising in the treatment of SIBO since 2010. She is such a wonderful uh, walking encyclopedia on all things SIBO. In today's episode, we talk about um, all about how to find a practitioner. Often that can be such a difficult journey for someone, especially if you've been chronically ill for some time. I know all too well myself, I was just that person. I spent 10 years looking for someone to help me uncover why I felt so sick. So we talk about how do you find a practitioner and the importance of building your own healthcare dream team, having people on your side who understand what you're going through that are helping you to regain and achieve your health. I ask her all about probiotics because I know for so many of us, we're interested in whether we should have them, whether we shouldn't have them, which ones we should have. So we talk about probiotics. And then we talk about what some strategies are that you can apply today if you're one of those people that is reacting to everything. And I hear from people who say, Rebecca, I even react to water. So we talk about that. What do you do when you're in that state, when you're so flary, as I call it? Also, what do you do if you're putting on weight or you're losing a lot of weight? And I fell into that former category. I put on a lot of weight with SIBO and I hear from other people to say that they do. They're experiencing exactly the same thing. But weight loss can be equally as demoralizing and stressful. And we discuss the five key pillars of health, awareness, nutrition, movement, 
mindset and lifestyle and the importance that they all play in helping you to regain your health. I hope you enjoy episode three of the Healthy Gut Podcast with Dr. Alison Seebecker. Welcome back to the SIBO podcast and I'm joined once again with the wonderful Dr. Alison Seebecker and we're talking about SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. If you haven't yet joined us for part one of this podcast, I do recommend that you go and listen to that first as that really is the foundational uh, episode and we talk about what SIBO is, how it's caused and treatment options. Alison, I'd like to talk about um, how people can find a practitioner uh, that can help them with treating SIBO. That can be tough. Um, there's, a, the, the, there's a couple ways that I could suggest. Um, there's a, I think it's a Facebook group, a SIBO discussion Facebook group that has a practitioner list uh, that patients have been putting the names of their doctors on that have helped them. Um, and so uh, we'll probably be able to figure out exactly where that is and put the link underneath. I don't have it off the top of my head to say. Yeah, I'll put, pop that in the show notes. I'm part of that SIBO group. So I'll, uh, that, that is in the show notes for people to click through and, and join that group. If that. Yeah, so that's one way. Um, another way is to call um, some of the labs that do SIBO testing and ask for names of doctors that order tests from them. So um, I have a lot of that information on my website, the laboratory contact information. It's underneath um, resources uh, testing. And just give the website for um, the listeners so that they know where to go. Oh, yes. It's SIBO Info, S-I-B-O-I-N-F-O. It's just a free educational website on SIBO uh, with a lot of material there for you. So, um, in fact, a lot of people don't even explore it fully, and, and they could be getting more help. So, I recommend it. It's there for your use. So, um, so for instance, Quintron is the manufacturer of the breath test machine that then many labs use and many practitioners use. So, you can contact them for names. And then you could also contact local labs that might be in your area. Um, and I have many of those labs listed on my website. And um, that's a great way to find practitioners. Of course, there's also the SIBO discussion groups in general and um, word of mouth. Now, it, it can be hard to find a practitioner that's very well trained in it. And SIBO is tricky. So I think what you're really looking for there, if, you, if, you're, if you're not finding someone who's as experienced or educated as you would like, is that at least they're open. They're open to hearing what you have to say, you know, if you're gathering information. So you just want the practitioner to be open to what you have to offer, what you have to say. If you want to bring them studies, if you want to bring them suggestions, that can, that can be hard depending on somebody's ego, uh, but it's important. Mm, it is. And I think about my journey and I went to countless GPs or doctors uh, who, you know, similar to your experience, Alison, just diagnosed me with irritable bowel syndrome and said, well, there's not much we can do about it. Um, and I, I really had to take my health into my own hands and hunt down a naturopath in the end who uh, understood SIBO. But it 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 meant that I had to... Um, really uh, take ownership and not settle. And I think that's I think that's perhaps something important for people who are listening to the podcast that if you're not getting the answers that are satisfying you, that you, you know, perhaps you need to keep looking. 
That is such good advice. The people that I see who do the best have educated themselves. That can be a hard thing to do when you're suffering and you have mm. symptoms that are bothering you, but it can also be incredibly empowering and honestly, one of the first steps towards regaining your health. So, um, I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. Uh, it's why we both do the work we do. It's to help people feel empowered and get educated. I, I also... Uh, do a lot of work educating physicians. I teach constantly, um, but you know, there's only so many you can re- people you can reach at a time. So it's going to take a while for um, as many practitioners as we really need to be educated on this uh, to get educated. But we're all just going to help. We're all going to help that happen. We are definitely, and 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 for the people listening to this podcast, just as a as an example, so I have an, an incredible uh, naturopath here in Melbourne who treats me for SIBO. Um, my GP or my doctor, my general practitioner, um, even to this date, does not truly believe in SIBO. And as much as I try to educate her on the condition and I would love her to come along to um, an event we are holding here in Australia um, on SIBO in October, she's not open to it. And so I've made the decision that whilst I will see her for sort of general things that I need to, such as my, you know, uh, once yearly checkup, um, I, I will not kind of battle with her over this and I go to practitioners that I do know understand this condition and I can talk to them about it. Um, that has uh, that's kept me a little bit sane <laughs> once I came to that realisation. It's kind of like I usually call it doctor shopping. Um, a lot of times you need to doctor shop. It's really no different with any somewhat mysterious chronic condition. Usually you're going to have to find a specialist and it might take a while. And if you can't find a specialist, at least find someone open. There are also like, you know, like myself and so many practitioners that work um, through telemedicine. So you don't have to necessarily find someone um, locally. I mean, you will if you're going to have to get uh, tests ordered and prescriptions and things like that. You will have to find someone open to taking those suggestions. But you can get help um, from from people online as well who are practicing telemedicine. Now, given that this condition uh, can be chronic and long-term and difficult to treat for people, um, what are the long-term implications for your overall gut health or or health of your microbiome um, when you are in a in a life of long-term SIBO treatment? Well, what I, what I see in, in terms of my patients is I see people getting their digestive health getting better and better over time as we treat their SIBO. So I'm not too worried about the fact that we're using, you know, I think maybe there might be concern, oh, we're good, goodness, we're using antimicrobials over and over again um, in various types of forms. Isn't that hurting us? Um, you know, it may be, but I see health coming up in people. I see improvement. I don't see worsening. So, um, and I think that's just because a a big load of bacteria in an organ where it's not supposed to be is very unhealthy. So um, getting rid of that improves things, improves things, you know. Mm. Um, For people who are concerned about repeated ongoing antimicrobials damaging their good microbiome, of course, we can use fermented foods or probiotics. The unfortunate thing, though, is that those sometimes bother people with SIBO. Very often, they bother people with SIBO. Now, sometimes you can find one formulation or one product that is better tolerated than another, and that's worth the effort. But also, um, many people 
over time, as they heal, they then can handle um, fermented food and probiotics. And of course, some people can handle it right from the get-go, and it's a wonderful thing for them because there's a spectrum um, of how people handle probiotics. It's fantastic for some. It's sort of so-so or does nothing for a large amount of people, and then it's real bad for uh, you know mm. another another group of people. So there are certainly things we can do if we're worried, um, but in general, I'm I'm not that worried. Mm, okay, and, and something um, that I see a lot, I think probiotics have got quite a lot of press or media coverage in, in in recent times, and there's a lot of discussion about which probiotic or how should I go on probiotics, when should I take probiotics. Um, do you have any advice for the listeners on around just probiotic use? Well, you know, I think probiotics are one of the types of things that are probably very often tried even before a person gets their diagnosis. It's, it's one of those things we can easily try for ourselves. We know it can be helpful for gut health. So I think that's a great place to try it. A great time to try it is before you even know what you have, or if you just have an IBS diagnosis. Um, now, if you have SIBO, I still think it's fine to try it just with the knowledge that everybody's different and it might not, it might not feel good for you. Um, and I think you need to trust, everybody needs to trust their body's reactions over whatever anybody's saying. So even like all those diets that we were talking about in part one, no matter what rule or whatever anyone's saying in those diets, if it doesn't work for you, you pay attention to that. Um, mm. So same thing with probiotics. You know, they're supposed to be the savior of all digestive health. But uh, if you try it and it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Now, one thing um, to know is that Sometimes probiotics can bother a person for a day or two, and then that goes away. So if the reaction isn't horrible, um, give it a couple of days and see if it gets better. And also, another thing, if you're worried about trying them, worried about symptoms, you can try a lower-dose product or whatever product you have. You can um, open the capsule and just take a small bit of it out so that if you do get a symptom, it won't be as severe. Um, so that's a good way to try them. Uh, but in terms of SIBO, you can honestly try a probiotic at any time. And doing that is probably helpful. It's a helpful experiment to find out if it helps or doesn't help. And honestly, mm. there's, there's just no way that we have. There's no way that we have to know without trying it. There's no test to tell. Um, there just isn't. There, you just have to try it and see. And lastly, um, like I said, different probiotic formulations can work for one person or another. And same thing with fermented food. Some people do good with fermented food and not with probiotic supplements. Some people do good with certain fermented foods and not with others. Uh, some people do good mm. with one probiotic, but terrible with a different probiotic. And once again, there's no telling ahead of time. We have studies of, you know, we have certain strains that are studied for certain symptoms and certain conditions. And I have gathered all that information and used it in my patients and see it not predict anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you just have to try. And um, yeah. that's it. That's my advice. <laughs> Yeah, and it really comes back to again and again as we've been uh, talking over uh, the first and second uh, podcast on SIBO is it is so individual and it really is up to you as an individual with SIBO working with your practitioner to to test and trial things to see what works for you and that it's not a one-size-fits-all diet or program or treatment protocol. 
In fact, if I can add something there, because you summed that up so well, uh, we were talking just before about how to find um, a practitioner. I think that's mm. actually another key component you might be looking for in a practitioner is someone who understands and knows that a lot of experimentation and cut because customization, individualization and customization, the only way to do that is with experimentation. Um, and a practitioner that understands that and wants to do it with you and keeps your trust through that process. Um, you oh, know, that is so important. Yes. Really, really important that you're not, that you don't lose confidence them over time, over time as you try these experiments. Very important because there's, there's no, I don't think for most people with SIBO, there, there isn't a way through this without some experimentation and that you got to have that good trust with your practitioner as you do that. Definitely. And and just telling a little bit of, about my story with my naturopath, Natalie Crutterdon, as we commenced the treatment, and I was using Dr. Jacoby's biphasic diet, um, we obviously tested out the foods on her diet. And I was quite lucky. I was able to tolerate um, pretty much everything on the first phase, but I didn't cope very well with some of the supplements. And so Natalie and I had to, uh, with some supplements, start on really tiny doses and slowly, like inch by inch, increase the dose until I could tolerate it and my system could tolerate it. And we changed the, we, I used herbs only. We changed the herbs every three to four weeks so that, um, you know, we were constantly rotating them. And, and I used to say to her, I'm like a walking science experiment. This is so much fun because we're just testing things. We're seeing what works for me. And I was fascinated by it. And, um, and I trusted Natalie, my naturopath, so implicitly because she is well educated on SIBO, but she also listened to me. So when I went to her and said, Oh gosh, Natalie, I, I you know, that, that just did not work for me. I felt awful. She said, Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that with me. Now let's do something different. Yeah, I'm, I am so blessed to have stumbled across her on Google. There are good things that can come out of Google searches. <laughs> Not all Google searches lead to cancer. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about what, what your advice is to people who are reacting to everything that they, you know, I, ha I hear people say to me, even if I drink water, I, I blow up or I am in pain. What can people do to help uh, try and calm the, you know, the craziness that's going on inside them, either through, you know, physically and also the emotional slash, slash psychological component of what's happening when that when that occurs? Okay, well, this is something I see so commonly, um, and you know, there are there are a whole slew of doctors that don't ever see patients like this, and they then they think that the patients who are like this and the doctors that see them are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they don't see it. Uh, this is this is the bulk of what I see, actually. Uh, so I've got a, a bunch of different strategies, and I'll just lay them out for you. So, great. First, first off, um, maybe the least helpful, but always important to just keep in mind would be: I have a handout um, on my website called uh, SIBO Symptomatic Relief Suggestions, and it's underneath the Resources tab, underneath Handouts, and. Mm -hmm. it's got a whole bunch of options that can help. Sometimes 
uh, that can help. So, you know, even in the situation, oh my gosh, I'm even reacting to water. So for instance, something like Iberogast, which is an overall general uh, digestive tonic, uh, adaptogenic, it can help with, you know, diarrhea or constipation, you know, pain or acid reflux, anything. You can try some of those suggestions and it may calm the situation down. And there's all sorts of suggestions on there. And as we just talked about, sometimes you just need to try different ones uh, to see what's going to help your situation. And I, I myself have done that. When I've had a really bad situation, I'll try one thing and, oh, that didn't work. Okay, I'll try the next thing. You know, I wait, wait half an hour, 40 minutes. Okay, that's not helping. Let me try the next thing. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. Now, another situation is that sometimes um, it's best not to do any intervention at all. So like an example, like it's like you just need rest. Now, granted, you still have to drink water, so you're kind of out of luck with that one. Um, but try to calm down. This is sort of the opposite strategy of what I just mentioned. Calm down all the interventions you're doing, take supplements away, take everything away, and just let there be some rest. So an example would be, um, I don't know if, if you've ever gotten a really, really bad sunburn, but mm. um, I certainly have. <laughs> and, yeah, sadly, I have too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of a time where I was actually on a wonderful trip and I was snorkeling uh, with, and, and didn't realize that the sun was hitting me all day and I couldn't lie on my backside, uh, you know, after that. Yeah. So in a situation like that, where things are so riled up, so inflamed, even putting something as soothing and helpful as aloe vera on the skin can irritate the skin. The skin doesn't even want it. Basically, it just wants to be left alone. So... Mm. That's another strategy. And by the way, there's sort of two ways to think of the person that reacts to everything. One is a general um, heightened tendency um, that's ongoing. And another is a flare. And a lot of people with SIBO have flares. And they can be triggered by all kinds of things. It's maddening and often mysterious. But things are going great. And then they're just not. Um, So there can be sort of periods, like two weeks, a month, um, maybe shorter where everything gets bad. So uh, so that's so back to the strategies. As much as you can rest. So um, I mean you're still gonna need to eat, but you you go to as uh, careful as a diet as you can. Um, often what is the most careful diet for uh, for people with SIBO is basically the prep diet for the SIBO test, which is only meat and fat and if you tolerate it, white rice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, some people can tolerate lactose-free dairy, so possibly cheese if, if they tolerate dairy well. That, um, that because cheese is just basically protein and fat, um, uh, aged cheese is, does not have carbohydrates in it. So um, basically removing as much carbohydrate as you can. The idea with the white rice is that many people can digest it and absorb it very quickly, easily and quickly, before the bacteria have a chance to eat it. So, um, so just that and rest. Okay, now mm. here's another strategy. I have two more. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and push through it by bombing it with treatment. Essentially, so this is, okay. this is now really the opposite. Like, yeah, just. Go for it with you know, antibiotics, herbal antibiotics. You just go ahead with your treatment. Go ahead and treat SIBO um, and push through it. And even if they're reacting to the treatments you're giving, um, this can only be done if the reactions are bearable. 
and tolerable. And also, this depends on personality type. All of these strategies depend on personality type, which is why we need so many different per, um, different strategies because mm. uh, different personalities. There are, there are people who are the push-through type of people. And even if I tell them, uh, like I love the strategy of like what you did where you start with extremely small doses and titrate up. That's probably one of my number one favorite strategies in general for people with SIBO. But there are people's personalities that will not tolerate or accept that. They're going to start at the highest full dose right away. And there's nothing I can say that yeah. will stop them from doing it. So, yeah. so we got to deal with it. So there's this strategy too. Just treat it hard. Um, they know it's going to suck and they, they'd rather have that. They'd rather have it suck hard for you know <laughs> like a week <laughs> and then be very hard to do it and then be done, you know, and, and, and through the through the difficulty. Okay, now the last suggestion I have is um, body work. So oftentimes I see when people are reacting to everything, we can't do anything orally, really, like they can't take supplements. If they're reacting to food. So we have to find a treatment that isn't, you know, through the digestive tract. So um, body work, I have found to be very helpful for that. My favorite form um, of body work would be probably visceral manipulation. I've seen that work maybe the best. However, mm-hmm. I don't really care. <laughs> whatever you like, whatever your practitioner likes. So that could be cranial sacral, cranial osteopathy. It could be acupuncture. It could be massage. It could be any type of therapeutic body work. I and mean, there's all these forms and types, you know. Um, on and on it goes. But some sort of therapeutic physical therapy. Um, and mm. usually best when it can deal with the abdomen. Um, that's kind of why I like the sterile manipulation. Um, but any of those methods um, can be helpful. It's like they are, uh, you're using a different system, a different approach to get in there and help change things. Um, yeah. So that's it. Those are my six. And another uh, side effect uh, I see of SIBO, I hear from people around SIBO is weight gain or weight loss. And it seems to be at the extreme end of either of those spectrums. It's people are gaining weight rapidly or they're losing weight and they're feeling incredibly underweight and very thin. Um, Are you able to talk about why that happens and and what people can do to help manage uh, you know, either weight gain or weight loss? Yeah. So um, let's talk about weight loss first and then remind me to come back to weight gain. Sure. So, um, I see weight loss much more commonly, um, although this could just depend on the practitioner and their patient population. Um, so the weight loss tends to be for several reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we think of most is the diet. Uh, low carbohydrate diets are famous for being weight loss diets. That's that's sort of what they're famous for. Um, when you reduce the carbs, uh, you could really lose a lot of weight. So that's one thing. Um, and all the SIBO diets are reduced carbohydrate diets. The next thing is people not eating enough because they're afraid of food. Uh, we mentioned mm-hmm. that in part one. Um, also, it's not just because they're afraid. It's a way to manage their symptoms. If eating brings on symptoms, which it usually does, um, and the more food you eat, the worse the symptoms get. The answer for a lot of people is to eat a very small amount uh, and or infrequently. So yeah. it's really um, just actual food restriction under eating. Now, a third reason is uh, 
the condition itself, the bacteria are competing for our food, and they cause uh, they cause malabsorption. They cause malabsorption of most carbohydrates. That's actually the symptoms that we see from SIBO. Most of them are technically derived from carbohydrate malabsorption. So, um, and this can be they cause lactose malabsorption, fructose malabsorption, and all the rest. Mm. So, um, in that in that process, they are stealing our food. We are not getting it. They're getting it. And they can also cause uh, mineral and uh, vitamin deficiencies. Anemia uh, is a common uh, sequelae of SIBO. So mm. the actual condition itself can cause weight loss. Um, yep. And then lastly, if a person does have diarrhea um, and the diarrhea is bad, uh, diarrhea can cause weight loss, through, especially through fluid loss. Um, it's very yep. hard keep weight on when you have really bad diarrhea. So those are all the reasons for um, weight loss. Um, now let's talk about weight gain. So with weight gain, um, the, the, there's two things I can link. One would be if you have methane gas. Um, methanogens have been linked with actually obesity um, and weight gain. Oh, I see many, many people who have methane who do not have weight gain, but it just can be, um, it can be a connection for some individuals. Mm, that's interesting. That's very interesting. And the second um, thing that I could say would be related to SIBO is in changing the diet, when we reduce carbs, very often we increase fat to compensate for um, the calorie loss of the carbs. And if somebody overcompensates uh, with diet, they can have weight gain. Now, those are the mm. things I can think of related to SIBO, but in all honesty, um, the people who I have seen gain with weight gain, sometimes I don't feel it's directly related to SIBO. Um, I feel that some people uh, already had some sort of hormonal disruption. Um, hormones are famous for being uh, able to make us gain weight. So some sort of imbalance or disruption mm. might be going on there at, at the same time. It might have even started beforehand. It might not have. Now, could that be triggered by SIBO? Yes, I do think so. So maybe that's a way um, a hormone imbalance could be triggered from, from SIBO and be related to that. But it's just also to keep, keep our minds open that there might be two things going on at once that might not be directly related. Yeah, but yeah. In the end result of all of this, um, assuming that most of these are most of what I described is directly related. The answer is to treat the bacteria that are overgrown, uh, try to kill them and remove them, get them out of the small intestine. So both of these situations can be balanced, um, which is why in the, in the part one, I stressed the three methods that are um, important for the killing strategies, pharmaceutical antibiotics, herbal antibiotics, or elemental diet, um, as opposed to just diet. This is where mm. we need to actually get in there and get rid of them. Mm, definitely. I know for myself, when I commenced my SIBO treatment program and went on the biphasic diet by Dr. Jacoby, I was really excited. I thought, oh, I'm going to lose so much weight. This is going to be brilliant. I'm finally going to be slim again. And whilst I lost a lot of centimeters around my abdomen, which I'm sure was a, a, a fair whack of that was just from the bloating disappearing, um, I 
virtually didn't shift the uh, numbers on the scale, which really, really, really surprised both myself and my naturopath. But what that did for us then was that we hypothesized that there is something else she suspects that it's hormone related and we're now investigating and exploring that avenue Um, and like you say we've eliminated the SIBO we can now cross that off and say well it's not directly related to SIBO because I don't have it and we've been actively healing my leaky gut Uh, so we're you know we're we're trying to patch up all the holes to allow my immune system to do a better job. And now we're looking at, okay, what's happening to keep weight on my frame? And uh, when I eat an incredibly healthy diet, I'm not eating burgers and fries and, you know, a lot of processed food. It's very natural. Um, let's, let's keep exploring. And, um, and I'm, and I don't let myself get down about uh, the fact that I I am not a very slim person. I'm not obese, but I'm not slim. Uh, and and because I now recognize that, you know, any resistant weight loss is just the body's way of saying, hey, things still aren't right with me. Keep looking. Keep going. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned your story because um, and that it connects with what I said because I really, I really see that as the most common thing that goes on with people who are gaining weight um, when they have SIBOs, it, it does seem to be usually hormone related. And then, you know, I don't specialize in that. So I send them to someone who does that and then they usually get some good results. Mm, yes. And given that I have, I also have endometriosis, uh, I can see that my, I imagine that my hormones and my reproductive system are already compromised because I have another uh, disease and condition. Uh, so for me, I just treat myself as a walking science experiment. I am fascinated by by what I learn these days, and uh, and I don't beat myself up uh, anymore. And I spent years beating myself up that the scales didn't hit a number I thought that they should hit. It does lead on to my next uh, point, which is around in my journey to uh, regaining my health, I realized that I had to cover five key areas. Uh, The first being awareness, the second being my nutrition, the third being around movement, the fourth around mindset, and then the fifth being my lifestyle. So I'd like to talk just um, a little bit about those five key steps uh, and your perspective on on them, Alison. So awareness uh, to me was really around I had to start to reconnect and listen to my body and become aware of what was happening to it and to stop uh, hiding behind uh, you know, over-the-counter pharmaceuticals, alcohol, uh, you know, excessive work to keep me busy to stop being aware of what was really going on in my life. What's your take on the importance of awareness as a first step for people? You know, all of the experimentation we were talking about, well, we, we can't really do that if a person isn't aware. How are we going to get the feedback from the from the person or how are you going to get it from yourself if you didn't pay attention to how things affected you? So um, if you are not already um, sensitive to the messages from, from your body, it's very important to start paying attention so you can learn, you know, so you can learn. Mm-hmm. And I would say that actually SIBO seems to be and digestive illnesses seem to be a pretty good teacher of awareness <laughs> for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people. They, uh... 
don't have a problem being aware. They're highly sensitive um, to their body and what bothers it, at least as they progress through that journey. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. They are, yes. Although I think that uh, it comes, to, there's a tipping point. And I know with myself that I ignored my digestive discomfort for I would say nearly 30 years, nearly most of my life, uh, because I just didn't want to know about it. And I also didn't want anybody to tell me that I had to make changes. Certainly. And you know, another thing that's interesting here that is it's easy for me to forget as a, as a doctor who specializes in a condition that's all about, uh, you know, bowel movements and such, is that there's shame. Um, there can be shame to think about these processes of our body, certainly to talk about it. So that's another place where awareness comes in and just self, self-acceptance. This person wants to feel better, they need to think about it a little bit and be willing to talk about it. Exactly. I know for myself, I I was chronically constipated with small bouts of diarrhea, but my standard state was constipation. I honestly believed that to go to the toilet once or twice a week was completely normal because that is how I had been since I could remember. And I remember going to a GP. I was trialing a new GP. I'd heard that she was great for women's reproductive health. And I was having a lot of abdominal pain, which I at the time thought was due to my endometriosis. And she did, uh, I think she might've even done a vaginal exam. And she said to me, gosh, you're so constipated. You must go to the toilet. And I said, oh, I'm not constipated. I, I, I go. And she said, no, you're not uh, going. You're, you're completely backed up. And instead of then saying to me, talk to me about how frequently you, you, um, you, know, you go to the toilet and do you have difficulty going to the toilet every day? Um, it was so much shame put on me. Uh, and she kind of barked at me that I was constipated and it was my fault. And then I felt really embarrassed about it. And I thought, well, I'm not telling anybody about that look at what happened to me. So it is so important to find the right practitioner and to keep going and to not let these situations, which can be so embarrassing and humiliating at the time, to prevent us from, uh, you know, seeking out further assistance. Well, and you know, I mean, that story, I mean, it's just how inappropriate. This is something that a lot of people feel with a lot of aspects of their health and certainly their digestive health is performance anxiety. You know, it's like, I don't go to the bathroom enough, like I'm anal or a bad person or something, or I, I go too many times, but how, how are we supposed to stop that when you, when it's beyond our control, these are physiologic uh, situations beyond our control. And also when you have a disease causing them and other things like bloating, performance anxiety there, um, you know, mm. now I, now I look swollen or I look pregnant or whatever it is I look, um, I need to to not look like that, to be healthy and to, you know, to look attractive. People can really put a lot of performance anxiety on themselves. And it's certainly no good when a doctor does that. Of course, that doctor would have done a much better job if she had suggested how to help. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think as well when it comes to awareness, um, there's the awareness pre-SIBO uh, diagnosis or even when you are um, going through your treatment. But I think it's also important to remain very aware and connected with your body when you have, you know, when uh, you have received that all clear diagnosis. And I know for myself that, uh, you know, life post SIBO is, you know, has been wonderful and, and glorious. But I really listen to my body now to, to, to stay in tune with it, uh, to, to listen to when things might be getting a little bit out of kilter. And my tactic for remaining SIBO free especially given that I have endometriosis, which uh, puts me at much greater risk of redeveloping SIBO, is that I listen to my symptoms. And if my motility slows down and, and perhaps I'm not going to the toilet as easily, so you know, if my morning bowel movement starts to happen at lunchtime rather than first thing in the morning as it normally does, I then think, okay, things are starting to, you know, I've got to be really mindful of what I'm doing here and I might do another round of herbs just in case there's a there's some bacteria that's starting to uh, increase and I don't want it to go into full-blown SIBO. Uh, so I think awareness is really important post-treatment as well. That's such a good point and there's something I'm, I'm thinking about as well and this, this might be related to mindset as well um, but there's a sort of a flip side of the coin where we, we can also become hyper aware um, yes. And, you know, it's, I'll just use the example of a diet diary, for example. Um, in the beginning, it can be so helpful uh, to help you gain awareness, to track the food you eat and the symptoms it produces. It just might, it might not be easy to connect the two um, unless you're jotting it down. So it's a very good tool. But then people can become quite obsessive over such things, like obsessive over their symptoms and what they're, how they're going to rate their symptoms each and every day and which food caused it. And that sort of can create um, the extra issues around food. I mean, we already are going to have some of those because they're uh, causing symptoms. But then this sort of piles on another layer on top that maybe doesn't need to be there. Um, mm. So then there's a then there's a point where we need to pull back from that. So we can still be aware in the wonderful way that you just described, but not hyper aware. Um, and there's a time to stop the diet diaries and to stop thinking about the symptoms that you have every day and, and what severity are they, are they at? And to, in fact, stop thinking about them altogether um, <laughs> yeah. so that you can live a happy life, you know? So just the flip side. Yeah, definitely. And, and I must say, I don't think about my, my gut or my digestive system much uh, every day. Like it, maybe I might think about it during the week, maybe, maybe not. I, I, it's so liberating. I don't have to think about what I'm eating necessarily and, and then what symptoms my body is giving me. And it's, it's so nice. So the second point for the, my five key pillars to my health were, was around my nutrition. Uh, obviously, when you go on to the SIBO diet, or whichever one you choose, um, you will have a, uh, some form of restriction on your diet. Um, but can you talk to, to us, Alison, just around what you believe to be the importance with good nutrition uh, for you know, general health and also when treating SIBO? You know, I think in a way that's one of the, the blessings in disguise, um, which there are many with illness <laughs> and chronic illness, but it can be one of the blessings mm -hmm. in disguise of SIBO. Uh, 
because dietary modification is a very important part of treatment, really incredible for helping symptoms. And all of the diets recommend steering away from processed food and really uh, focus on pure, good, healthy food um, and less eating out and more home cooking, which can be very difficult uh, as a lifestyle change. But it is so yeah. incredible when one does that, when one, I mean, just the difference of preparing your own food and, and having less processed food. And second, um, buying hopefully higher even quality ingredients for your food. People, uh, people feel so much better on the SIBO diets. Um, I've had so many people tell me that they will actually never go back to the way that they used to eat, even when their mm-hmm. SIBO is gone. And actually, I've followed up with people like that for, you know, five-year follow-ups. They've never returned to the way they used to eat before, even if the way they used to eat before wasn't horribly bad. It's just that when you, I think when a lot of people have a digestive complaint and they alter their diet for it, um, they do better. They do better with their nutrition and their diet and they feel so much better for it in every way. They feel better both uh, for the gastrointestinal symptoms and for every other symptom. I mean, that's what these diets are so amazing at. You know, allergies get better, inflammations get better, so many other symptoms get better. The classic, uh, you know, combination of sleep and energy, you know, gets better. Um, One's whole quality of of life improves. So it's an incredible boon um, to increase one's nutrition. There is no disease and there's no healthy person that doesn't feel better by having higher quality, better nutrition and diet. It's just across the board. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I am one of those people uh, that won't return to the diet that I used to have. I used to be a carb addict. I loved bread and pasta and rice and potatoes. And I, when I eliminated those foods strictly during my SIBO diet, I felt incredibly healthy and energetic. Um, and these days, whilst I can have a little bit of those foods, I actually choose not to, uh, for most of the time. The only time I will eat, uh, gluten, for instance, is if I'm eating out and there aren't any uh, options for me to eat, uh, just a protein and vegetable, um, or if I've gone to a friend's place and they have cooked. Uh, most of my friends, I must say, are very good now. They know that I eat very healthily, so they make very healthy food for me, um, but occasionally. Um, or if I'm traveling on a long-haul flight, like when I came over to America recently and, you know, you've kind of stuck with airplane food. Um, but when I'm cooking just for myself, just at home, my normal day-to-day food, I buy the best quality protein that I can afford and I buy the best quality vegetables that I can afford and and good quality fats. And, and that's pretty much it. I don't drink much alcohol anymore. And I used to drink very heavily when I was younger. And I, you know, I really don't have any sugars, um, minimal. I have a little bit of honey here and there. Uh, and I feel amazing for it because there's there's just no processing in my food. It's all really natural. I, I experienced the exact same thing when I went on specific carbohydrate diet when, right in the beginning of my SIBO treatment. It was just incredible. And I, I, I knew, and I was already a healthy eater. <laughs> so yeah. I, was, I was a naturopath and totally into health food and nutrition, but just that bump up made a difference. So yeah, um, yeah definitely. Just, it can only help people. And if somebody falls off, um, off that path and, brings back in foods that are more processed or maybe 
whatever food it is that is not doing right by them, going back to that awareness piece, like, and you gave that example, uh, try to just stay aware of that and you'll nudge yourself. Let's hope you'll nudge yourself back on to the right path because you won't like how it feels, you know? So, yep. I mean, everybody's going to have times where maybe they fall off the, the path, but um, we can just bring ourselves back on with good nutrition. It, it can be hard um, for some people to stay with good nutrition, depending on their social group or what's going on or their stress management techniques, but we always feel better for it. Mm, definitely. The third piece of the, as a, as the, of the puzzle, I suppose we could call it, is around movement or exercise. You know, it's really one and the same. Um, how important do you believe it to be to move or exercise um, when you have a condition like SIBO? Well, this is kind of a tricky one because um, sometimes exercise and movement can really exacerbate the symptoms. Um, so I think it's probably kind of like a moving target. Um, movement is a moving target because it depends on how bad one's symptoms are. Like if somebody has very, very bad bloating and distension, exercise will, will pull, gravity will pull down on that protrusion and really increase pain on someone. Um, mm-hmm. even, even walking um, is, is a terrible aggravator when somebody's extremely distended. Um, and same thing with a lot of other um GI symptoms. So we have to sort of get the very severe symptoms under control uh, before I think exercise will be helpful. Um, in general, for anybody's health, exercise and movement, we all know that that is important. It's just like nutrition we were talking about. Mm. But, you know, when, if someone's very sick, we have to get them over that. Um, and then as they begin to heal, I feel that movement is a wonderful supporter. I, I don't think it's going to, it plays as important as a part as diet, um, diet and nutrition, but I would, I would put it in the realm of um, like how probiotics are for the majority. For the majority mm. of, of people, I would say probiotics help 20, 25%. And I would say exercise and movement is that it's supportive, it's helpful, it's adjunctive and good. You know, if we're talking about um, someone's not just SIBO, but if we're talking about overall people and their life and health, I would rate it, I would rate it higher. But if yep. we're just talking about SIBO, um, it's not a major player, but it's helpful and adjunctive. You know, where I think um, it comes in is, um, of course, circulation, uh, um, endorphins, and a positive attitude. Um, yeah. And especially if you were feeling more bedbound or housebound with symptoms, once you then can get out, boy, then you feel like you're living again, you know, if you get movement and exercise. Um, but also, just the idea we were talking about body work um, and physical therapy treatments um, in general and even on the abdomen. So then movement can help with that. It's, it's your own way sort of to do some body work, depending on the exercise that you're doing. So it's mm-hmm. definitely important. And I know uh, for myself that I, I had been a bit of a gym junkie at times and, and I'm one of those people I'm either lying flat on the couch or I'm training for a triathlon. There's, you know, I'm zero to 100 and, and then my SIBO kind of, you know, held me back a little bit. So I started just going for really gentle walks just around the block to start with just to get some fresh air and to I actually found personally for me that um, when I was particularly bloated a gentle walk uh, 
could often help alleviate some of my bloating and uh, um, and that helped me personally. That was my personal little solution. Um, and I've pulled back on the really crazy exercise that I've done in the past and I now focus on more gentle movement and flow when I do things like yoga or I'd go walking or um, just more gentle things to just to keep my body a little bit calmer. Um, but I, I find that it, you know, personally, moving has been really beneficial for me as I've got better. Well, you see, here's a prime example of the individuality we've been talking about with SIBO, that walking helped your bloating, whereas mm. for other people, walking hurts their bloating. And this is where people just have to try things, they have to experiment and see what works for them. So it's actually yeah. really good that you said you had a different experience than what I said. It's very yeah helps everyone know how individual it is the fourth step is mindset and I know I had to I have had to do a lot of work around my mindset and it is ongoing for me um, can you talk to me about how you feel the what you believe the importance to be around how you think and the mindset that you you have when you're treating SIBO well um, I think what's so helpful to someone is to not take it too personally. Any disease, acute or chronic, um, it's so hard not to. Uh, but that's where I think, you know, the experiments can help because it gets you a little bit objective. It gets you a little bit out of your own person self to an observer. Um, and where education helps, it does the same thing. You think about the condition instead of just how you know, the symptoms are hurting you. Um, so any way that you can get a little bit removed from how per personally it's horribly affecting you is very helpful. Um, perspective, you know, it, it, it helps, it gives you perspective so that you can move, move on and live your life. Because with any um, chronic condition or acute, you could, you could just hold yourself up in your house, you know, and feel so terrible for what's going on. Um, I mean, some other, some other things that are important with mindset is to pay attention to um, the good things. This is classic sort of stress management technique for all life is to pay attention to what is going well um, and be thankful for that instead of paying attention to everything that sucks. That is really the way to, I think, to take step-by-step forward through difficult situations. Um, and I'll just share a little tip that my sisters often use that I like, um, because everybody has their stresses in life, whether what, no matter what illness they have or don't have. Um, and so they, they each make lists of 10 things that they, that they'd like to do, um, in a day that is taking care of themselves and they don't have to do them all, but if they could get even a few of them done, they'll feel, feel good. And they put things on there like brushing their teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, if you're having a bad day, you know, whether from your SIBO or not, you can go to bed saying, Hey, I brushed my teeth today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you gotta have things like that where if all else goes to, to the, you know, you know, crap or something, you know what? You brush your teeth. It's a good day. <laughs> so these yeah. are classic techniques to get through, but they're important for when things are really bad. Now, one other thing I'll say is that mindset um, is, is, of course, going to be helpful for your emotional state, um, and which can, can be very 
impacted by illness. However, even if you have a bad attitude, um, if you take treatment for SIBO, those treatments are still going to work. Um, you're not, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to inhibit the effect of an antibiotic if you feel uh, miserable, <laughs> your attitude isn't positive. So mindset does not make or break a treatment, um, you, you know, but boy, you sure feel better if you can uh, fix your mindset to be more positive and and forward thinking. Something that I've started doing uh, which helped me uh, stop focusing on myself and start focusing on little small wins that I have every day is that I've set up a happiness jar where I put on a little piece of paper uh, something that has made me happy for the day and sometimes it's just that the sun has been shining and I and I sat in the sun for five minutes or it might be that I heard my favorite song on the radio or it could be that I got to cuddle a cat, you know, really simple things that have given me momentary pleasure. And I look through my notes. Uh, sometimes they're really big things. They're really exciting things like coming to America and uh, uh, and coming to the SIBO Symposium. That was really a great thing for me. Um, so, you know, it can be little or big. And I look through my notes and then it gives me, you know, happiness to think, oh gosh, there's been some really nice things that have happened and takes me away from focusing on any negative things that might be happening in my, in my day. It's so important. You know, one of the, the best ways to increase uh, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is sort of the opposite of what we think of as stress. We think stress is um, the sympathetic nervous system, um, is gratitude. And so that's one of the things you're describing there. It's so good. Um, just to, at any time in the day or maybe before you go to bed or certainly before a meal, that's, of course, what um, saying grace is about, is to think of something that you're thankful for, um, that, you, that you feel gratitude for, in, in true honesty, not something that you think you should feel grateful for, something you actually feel grateful for and connect in with that. Um, yeah. And add in a one conscious breath, boy, then you're really doing great. You know, this is these these are the classic strategies. I mean, I think um, this is what's taught. I hear a lot uh, for war veterans, um, especially who become handicapped um, mm-hmm. or disabled in some way. This is what they do: focus focus on what you can do, focus on what you feel good about, um, and it's such a great way forward. Yeah, definitely. And then the fifth piece or the fifth step uh, that I needed to really uh, work on in my return to health was lifestyle. Um, can you talk to me a little bit around your, you know, your, your thoughts or suggestions on how people can work on their lifestyle? There's so many aspects to what we can mean by lifestyle, but one of the um, first things I think about is uh, sleep, the timing of our sleeping and the timing of our eating. Um, so making sure that you get enough sleep. Now, this can be very hard. Um, sleep can be disturbed by symptoms. Um, lots of people struggle with insomnia of various types. Uh, so I'm saying this with that knowledge. So some people might be saying, but yeah. how? <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. what, what we can do is if we... Um, if we tend to stay up late working or watching TV or something, um, we can work on not doing that and going to bed at a decent hour at a better time um, to, to get better sleep. Uh, one of my professors always used to say every hour before midnight is worth two after or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, not staying up till one or something, trying to get to bed by 10 or, you know, whatever you can do. Um, 
And, and keeping that schedule similar day to day, that is something the body really likes. It uh, really likes consistency in sleeping patterns and eating patterns. So another thing is eating your meals at the same time day to day. So, I mean, mm. within about an hour, sometimes, you know, you might have slept a little late or something's going on. But um, that's another thing that calms and strengthens the body and the nervous system. So that's very helpful. Um, giving these, give these sort of schedules um, and consistency is good. Um, some other lifestyle things are, um, that, I mean, because you've talked about a lot already, good, good nutrition and exercise and things like that. But other things are support systems. Um, making, making sure, or if you don't have them, trying to encourage some new support systems. Um, and this is can be all sorts of things. It's friends and family encouraging you through your SIBO treatments. It's fun with um, friends and family so that you're not just thinking about your illness. Um, mm. And, and um, you know, and that it, could, it could be church groups. It could be religious. It could be SIBO support groups. Sometimes SIBO support groups um, give you more stress, you know, so finding what works for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but support <laughs> Support is so important in lifestyle because no one can just do life all alone, really. We, we all have to have help. Mm. Um, so what that also can mean is uh, taking a critical look at relationships um, that maybe are unsupportive or, or abusive and yep. um, maybe making some decisions there for change. Yep, definitely. I know that with my journey, I... I I had been, as I've said, a heavy drinker. I, uh, I wasn't an alcoholic. I just didn't really enjoyed socialising and partying. And so my weekends were spent uh, drinking a lot with my friends. And when I, I completely cut alcohol out of my diet, out of my life when I commenced SIBO treatment, and now I don't drink very much at all. Um, the people that I had considered you know, good friends and uh, had been there with me for so many years uh, didn't particularly like the new Rebecca, the non-drinking Rebecca. And I needed to make some lifestyle decisions around who was in my social groups, who did I want to spend time with, um, and who had values more aligned with my new values, which was around health and happiness and longevity and, and those types of things. So I needed to go out and make some new friends. And that can be quite difficult, but uh, you know, it's been really beneficial for me to have some people in my circle now that have a real focus on their health and well-being. That is just so such a good story. And you know, you brought up the point of alcohol as well, and uh, that's such a key thing in in lifestyle. Uh, you know. I, I often talk about hard living and trying to get away from hard living. You know, you can see hard living on someone's face. You can hear it in their voice. Um, and you certainly see it in, in illness that generates many mm. What is hard living? I mean, it's, um, it's alcohol, it's smoking, other drugs. Um, it's staying up late. Like we talked about yeah. sleep um, and, um, and eating poorly poor nutrition. That's, that's really what hard living is. And you know, everyone is susceptible to hard living. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a classic night owl who loved to party. And, uh, you know, I've just, I was never asleep. I, 
and I still to this day, you know, think, oh gosh, if, if I could be, you know, one of those people that never need sleep, then that would be great. Imagine what I could do. But I have, you know, it's a constant um, process for me. I definitely wouldn't say that I am there, uh, but I am really conscious now about the importance of good quality sleep. So I set alarms to start reminding me to start packing up and, and getting ready for bed. I switch off my electronic devices or I, I take myself away from my computer Uh you know, at least an hour before bed. Um, I really love listening to podcasts. So I'll go into my bedroom, I turn all the lights down really low, and I might listen to a really kind of soothing and relaxing meditation podcast that helps just wind me down and get me ready for sleep. Um, and I'm, I find that that is really helping to bring me back into a more normal, what I'd consider normal sleeping pattern where I'm not getting to bed at 1 or 2 a.m. now. I, I try to get to bed before midnight as, as my general rule. So, um, you know, it is possible for those people that think, gosh, I'll, I'll just never sleep properly or I'll never get to bed before midnight um, or I'll never give up drinking it. You know, it's just small steps forward in the right direction that help get you there in the end. Yes. And, um, you know, circadian rhythm can be something that people might listening to this might go, yeah, but I'm like, you. I'm just a night owl. And if I lie there, I cannot fall asleep until two or something like that. Um, there are some things you can do for that if you wish to. Um, and a lot of that has to do with those lights, the therapy lights that are used for seasonal affective disorder. You can use those mm-hmm. lights to reset uh, one circadian rhythm. Some people might be familiar that those lights are often used for jet lag and to helping adjust to different time zones. So in a similar way, they can help uh, reset or alter someone's circadian rhythm so that um, if they wish to, they can come to a, a, a pattern that's more in line with the society that they're living in. What resources would you recommend people uh, use when they're looking for support with their treatment? or at least, or even just education and knowledge around SIBO? Well, certainly my website, because that's what it's all about. It's all about just yep. offering free education. So it's SIBOinfo.com. And I have a whole resources section with many available things there. Um, so for basic education, there's that. Um, I have um, many uh, if people want to learn more, I have many articles and many uh, trainings like the SIBO Symposium that we have. People can buy and watch that. Um, there are so many people blogging. I don't have those all linked, but you can certainly go into those and find them. The, the only thing is that sometimes you have to be a little bit discerning of um, how much does the person writing know, because there are sometimes mm-hmm. um, people who write that might not be fully educated. But another resource that I think is very helpful, it's more of a specific one, are cookbooks. Um, When you're changing your diet and if you feel deprived, uh, cookbooks are about one of the best things you can look at because uh, they do. when you see these gorgeous pictures of all these wonderful meals and foods, you don't feel deprived. So that's just a basic resource. And I have a lot of cookbooks linked on my website. And, of course, you, Rebecca, have two cookbooks, um, which are gorgeous. I do. So <laughs> they are absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. And I'm not mentioning this simply because you have cookbooks. It's truly something I tell a lot of people when you're um, when you're just new with SIBO and you're thinking all foods bother me and I have to go on these diets. Cookbooks, there's just no way you can feel bad about what you're going to eat when you look at those beautiful pictures. So um, those are the those are the basic ones. And we talked a little bit about how to find um, find a doctor. Um, yeah. So that those are the main things I can think of. I, well, one other thing yeah. is that you know podcasts like this um, 
this is this is great. This is a two-part series. I have done many interviews offering just tons of even very specific treatment information that you don't even need to pay for. And I have those um, interviews linked on my website as well. A good place to find them all, along with a lot of articles, is underneath um, the contact tab on my website. If you go to my bio, um, I have all my free um, interviews there that you can listen to. Great. And it's some, it's a resource. Your your website is, is such a great resource, uh, Alison, and I send so many people there and I, I just wish that everyone went there in the first instance when they start doing their SIBO research because there's just an absolute wealth of information and knowledge on that website. So thank you for putting that together because I know how much time it has taken you to do that. To finish off the podcast, what do you see the future of SIBO as being? It's a pretty broad question. <laughs> I think we're going to get um, a lot more research uh, answers, uh, particularly with methane. I think we're going to find um, the researchers are focusing on better and more treatments for methane. Also, um, sort of the pathophysiology of methane, it's being shown that it's quite different now from um, from the other forms of SIBO. Uh, there uh, was a recent article, Dr. Pimentel and group published saying it's really almost a different disease. I think we're going to see a lot more development there. I think we're going to see... Um, I think Dr. Pimentel has been working on a cure. He's been working hard in research and study on a cure for the food poisoning type of SIBO that I mentioned. It's also, mm. also called post-infectious IBS. Basically, a cure for the um, autoimmune-mediated uh, migrating motor complex deficiency. Uh, yep. with, the cell, with the cell damage, um, I think I think we're going to see that cure in not too long. I don't know how many years, but um, I think we're going to see that. I think we might see some, um, there might be a better test coming out for the migrating motor complex that might be in office, I'm hoping. I've heard rumors about that. Mm -hmm. We might see that. So I think, you know, we're just going to progress farther and farther with the information. The other thing of, of where I see SIBO going, just as sort of a more general, not so much the research and information, is I think more and more doctors will come to accept it um, and learn about it as awareness spreads on it. I think we'll see a good, a good movement there. Wonderful. Well, I think it's going to be uh, exciting times ahead when it comes to SIBO research, understanding and, uh, and general awareness. Dr. Alison Seebecker, I would like to thank you so much for being involved in this two-part series on SIBO on the Healthy Gut podcast. Uh, we have really appreciated your time and I'm sure uh, I speak on behalf of myself and my listeners to say thank you so much for sharing your fountain of knowledge when it comes to SIBO treatment. You are so welcome and thank you. I hope you enjoyed episode three with Dr. Alison Seebecker. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO life. And I love hearing from you. So don't forget to leave me a rating and review in iTunes telling me what you think about the Healthy Gut Podcast. And if there's anyone that you know that you think could benefit from listening to today's podcast, don't forget to share it with them. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. Just look us up under The Healthy Gut. Now, coming up in episode four, I am talking to Australia's leading SIBO specialist, Dr. Narala Jacoby. 
We talk all about SIBO testing, and she has a testing facility here in Australia. We also talk about the difference between hydrogen and methane-dominant SIBO and the differences in treatment and also symptoms. Dr. Narala Jacoby uh, has developed the SIBO biphasic diet, so we go through that, how it works, the foods and all the rest. It's also the diet that I have followed when I wrote my two SIBO cookbooks. Um, And then there's also things that we talk about like probiotics and what you need to do when you react to everything and some of the warning signs that you can look for today to help you or help prevent you from getting to that place where you're literally eating five foods and that's it. So I look forward to seeing you on episode four of the Healthy Gut Podcast. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or the podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. If you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast, you can make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. With thanks to Julian Pryor from J Podcaster for the production and editing of this podcast. To learn more, head to jpodcaster.com. We would also like to thank Belinda Coombs for the original music score. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.